0: Well, anger management has become big business. You can uh, look in yellow pages and find... Uh, yellow pages. You used to be able to look in yellow pages. You can look on the Internet now. You don't need those yellow yellow pages. And you can uh, find all kinds of counselors or therapy sessions or groups for anger management. It's big business for the publishing industry. I have on my shelf... A book with 13 easy steps to anger management. Not four, not six, but 13 easy steps. Yes, and you too can be successful. How does that work? Anger management's become a topic of uh, public and popular conversation. Last night, I was... uh, watching a football game, and there was uh, uh, a student from the University of Washington, I'm just going to call him out, punching a bear, and the commentator began to talk about how anger management therapy is important for people of all ages. (laughs) We watched a TV show last week where the the best a therapist could do in anger management uh, class was to get someone to play yo yo-yo, with, with the, and that was going to be their anger management. I mean, anger management's not only big business, it's become entertainment. 2003, uh, Jack Nicholson and Adam Sandler uh, starred in a movie called Anger Management, which I probably don't recommend, but we entertain ourselves with the fact that we really can't deal with our anger, don't we? Anger management has not only become entertainment, it's become a joke. There was a husband who asked his wife, he said, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How do you control your anger? Wife said, I clean the toilet. (laughs) The husband said, well, how does that help? She said, I use your toothbrush. Well, I suppose I need not tell you that anger management is really no joke to Jesus. It's one of those central life experiences that all of us know. I mean, we laugh because we know, right? We know what it's like to be angry. We know what it's like for somebody else to be angry with us. And it's one of those central life experiences that displays what is going on in your heart. Anger gives you optics into your heart and the operation of your soul. And then it should be no surprise. If anger kind of opens up the window so you can see what's going on in your heart, it should not be a surprise that Jesus is interested in your heart. And so he talks about anger And I want to invite you to take a look at his signature sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and you might just think of it as the signature sermon that Jesus probably gave over and over and is recorded for us here in Matthew 5. And when you turn there and when we read, it'll be clear that Jesus' interest is not merely in preventing murder, but it's in changing hearts and reconciling people to one another. So, let's begin reading. I'm going to in verse 20. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said, To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. until you have paid the last penny. So, Jesus takes what they have heard at least one step farther, if not a mile farther, when he promotes not only the absence of murder, but actual reconciliation between enemies. He says, you have heard it said. Then he says, but I say to you, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. It's interesting that Jesus says, you have heard it said, and then he quotes commandment number six. Well, of course we've heard commandment number six. There's only ten, and most of the time we make it to number six. Is Jesus really throwing shade on one of the ten commandments? I don't think that his problem is so much commandment number six as it is the second half of what they've heard. You have heard it said you shall not murder. If if you're familiar, of course, with the Ten Commandments, you recognize that there's a period there. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's the addition. That's what they've heard. That's the extra thing that Jesus now is clarifying. You've heard it said, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. In other words, what Jesus is calling into question is the legal specificity of what they have heard. The the layers of rules on top of murder is what he's really interested in. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. So, Jesus is not reinterpreting the commandment as much as He is reinterpreting the way that they have framed it. Then he says, but I say to you, but I say to you, (laughs) and we're not used to this. This is the unprecedented part of Jesus' sermon. Because Jesus doesn't quote sources. Jesus doesn't sound here like Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof. I don't know if you remember him, but he he would always say, on the one hand, and he'd talk to himself, and then he'd say, well, on the other hand, and then he'd tell himself the opposite story. And the reality is that that was the Jewish practice. On the one hand, Rabbi so-and-so says, on the other hand, another rabbi says, and if you can imagine, (laughs) that was the sermon. Just hearing one person and then second-guessing with another person and best of luck to you. If you murder, you're going to be liable to judgment. But Jesus says, no, but I say to you. And then, the, then He offers us three separate uh, conditions. If you get angry if you insult, if you say to someone, you fool. The first one, <laughs> you have heard said, don't murder. I say to you, don't be angry with your brother. Anger is that destructive force which is expressed in relationship, destroying language, and it culminates in life-destroying murder it's so easy for us isn't it just to 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 be surprised by anger to have it just show up before we even see it coming imagine what it would have been like if you weren't used to sinning if you weren't really good at sinning if you if you really didn't know what it meant to turn your back against God, say, say sin had only been around for a few years. That's how it was with Cain in Genesis chapter 4. I mean, yes, Adam and Eve, they, they took a bite of some fruit, and they felt ashamed, and they clothed themselves, and we, we don't know much else, really, about how things went for them until the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, where we have Cain... Uh, offering a sacrifice and the, finding out that the Lord approved of his brother's sacrifice. And if you think you get surprised by the emotion of anger, <laughs> Cain was really surprised. It was really new to him. And he and God have a conversation about how anger was about to take over. He had to be on guard. And it turns out he wasn't on guard, doesn't it? killed his brother Abel. And we have to say, where was the problem there? Was the problem merely with the murder? Or was the problem with the anger that preceded the murder? See, that's, that's the way that this worked in the community into which Jesus was speaking. They would say, that the problem is the murder. Anytime you stop short of that, way to go. And you know what? That's kind of how I congratulate myself too. I'm doing pretty well when I contemplate it, but don't do it. Here though, we have Jesus saying, "Uh uh-uh. To contemplate it, to be angry with your brother is a violation of the righteousness of that God demands. And all of us take a collective gasp because we know, don't we? We know what it's like to be angry and to realize, what am I going to do now? Jesus' brother James. He tells us this. We know this. In James chapter 1, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And then what? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Of course Jesus would go there. Because Jesus is going to have a kingdom that is righteous. Jesus is going to invite people to hunger and thirst for righteousness. If they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness... Anger is not going to fit. And so, in a kingdom where everything is right, anger is wrong. And so, Jesus addresses this anger because it does not produce the righteousness of God. And Jesus has just said, I started out reading it. It wasn't on the screen. Jesus has just said I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And now I have anger not producing that righteousness. And of course, we're going to have to address it. Of course, a heart that harbors anger is an issue. Then Jesus says, Whoever insults his brother is guilty of the counsel. Whoever insults his brother, whoever loves sarcasm, pointing out where their brother or sister or husband or wife has failed. It's interesting that the ESV translates this insult because it's really a lot like uh, the next uh, the next situation where it says, you fool, because this is just raka. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus says, whoever calls his brother raka. Now, guess what? Good news for you, right? You've never done that. <laughs> there are ways around it. See, I'm a good Pharisee. I know how to get around the law, But essentially what Jesus has done is he said it in Aramaic so that people hear it and say, oh, yeah, I've insulted my brother. And then he turns around and he says it um, in Greek, you moron. He says it in two separate languages so that no one misses the the problem. The problem is this. I have in my heart something that doesn't like the people who are close to me that is a sobering thing isn't it <laughs> you fool now it's funny because the the first several of these that we see jesus said if you're angry with your brother if you insult your brother if you call your brother a fool And he knows that the people who are hardest to love are the people who are closest. The people who hurt us the most deeply are the people who are closest. And so Jesus said, yes, you're going to be guilty of judgment. You're going to be guilty of the counsel. You're going to be guilty of the very fires of hell. And some people think, okay, Judgment counsels hell. He must, be, he must be escalating this. I don't think Jesus is really escalating it because it's really hard to say fool in one language is worse than fool in another language or that judgment and counsel in fires of hell, that that's somehow intentional. I think the reality is Jesus is just saying there are going to be consequences and the consequences will be eternal if you are angry. And Jesus repeats it rather than escalates. He repeats it three times to make sure we get it. That yes, this is not something that you can ignore. It's one thing to say, yes, you can't ignore it for the good of your marriage. Or you can't ignore it for the good of your friends or your family or your neighbors. But to say you can't ignore it for the good of your own soul because your own soul is in danger of hellfire because of your anger. And Jesus sort of puts us back on our heels, doesn't he? I think it really isn't about murder. It's really about what it is that wells up inside of you that precedes murder or even the desire to murder. And already we say, you've got to be kidding. Who can be that good? Who can be that righteous? Who who among us can actually get that far along that we don't have that problem anymore. You know, the, you guys can be just so thankful that you don't have to preach every week. I just, um, I mean, I'm, I, and I hope you really do love and respect John because he does have to do it every week. But I mean, I'm driving, I, I'm driving, and he's not my brother. So, right again, I'm, around, I'm working around the law, just so you know. But I'm driving. And the guy doesn't use his blinkers. And what does the text say here? Just a second. (laughs) You fool. (laughs) I didn't exactly use those words. But I suggested that blinkers are a good thing. (laughs) You know, there there is a heart problem here that we all have to deal with if we're going to be rightly related to Jesus. And he, he just puts that on us, and, and we all just like, all right, now what? I'll tell you now what, because now what is the next thing. If you look at verse 23, you'll notice that the next thing is even more amazing. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled your brother and then come offer your gift now i had to ask the question why do these two verses go together what is it that ties don't be angry to leave your gift at the altar And the reality is, and this is amazing, because we're already feel like we're gut-punched here at the prohibition against anger, when Jesus said, it isn't really even about being angry. It's about being reconciled. I'm not after the... I mean, Jesus didn't give the Sermon on the Mount so people wouldn't murder each other. That had already been said. He didn't give the Sermon on the Mount so people wouldn't be angry with each other either. What Jesus is after, He is after people being reconciled to each other. So it isn't just get rid of all those minuses. It's instead, here, be reconciled. Recognize that this other person is of value to your Father and be reconciled. In fact, there's so much value that Jesus makes it a priority. Not only should you not be aggravated and angry and insulting, but He makes it such such a priority to be reconciled to your brother that, that it's more important than coming to church. It's more important than giving your your tithes and offerings than your gifts. Leave it. Go get your soul squared away with the person who's close to you that you have conflict with. And I can just see this, right? We all all have this working around kind of thing that we do. No, 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 I'm going to go to church. And I'll get right with God, and then I'll do better getting right with my brother or sister, right? I'll do better then if I go to church, than I will if I actually <laughs> do what Jesus says first. And we just, we, we just are looking for workarounds, because then what are you going to do? Then you're going to go have dinner, and then you're going to watch a game or take a nap. And you may or may not ever get around to reconciling with your brother. And it's staggering, especially if you were in the audience. I mean, and this is trying, the thing I'm trying to do, and I encourage you to do it as you read the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, is I'm trying to think about what it would be like if I was a, a First Testament Jew there. and The only messages I heard were these rabbis saying, this person says this, and this person says this, good luck. Or if all I saw about religion were Pharisees parading it around in the streets, praying and giving alms and making sure everyone noticed. If that was a context that I had, and and I, it was all I could do to muster a sacrifice for the, the, the feast, maybe annually, like I have one little sheep I can spare. And Jesus said, you know what, I don't even want that. I want you to go be reconciled. I mean, that would just... This is hard enough for me. But if if that were the case, I think it would even be even harder. (laughs) And I, there are times when I love Jesus. I'm just going to say I'm a preacher. I love Jesus. There are times when he drives me crazy too. Because look at this. So, first of all, I said, you've heard don't murder. You'll be liable to judgment. So, let's let's get murder off the table. Then he says, don't be angry or insulting. Okay, that's quite a bit different. Then he says, go and be reconciled with your brother. So far, all of these things he said now about my brother, about the person close to me, my my wife, my kids, my parents. And I feel the pain, the struggle is real. And then he says... Notice, come to terms quickly with your adversary or with your accuser. So so now Jesus takes it even another step, doesn't he? That now anybody, come to terms quickly with them. Wow. And it's, it's actually worse than come to terms. Because I don't, don't you see some negotiation with your lawyer and their lawyer when he says it that way? This is a, if, you were to, if you were to look at the Greek word that says come to terms quickly, it's a compound word. The first word is good, and the second word is think. You are to think well of your adversary. Go that far (laughs) that you're thinking happy thoughts about the person who is suing you. Some of you maybe have been sued and you know that's not how that works. (laughs) That's how it works in the kingdom. And so Jesus, Jesus knows, doesn't he? How to get right to the heart. To make us come to a place where we all have to just hold both hands up and say, I surrender, don't shoot. Because one of the things we find is that anger is natural, but reconciliation is unnatural. Yes, anger is natural, but thinking well of my adversary. That's supernatural. And again, if you're like me, you're you're thinking, there's got to be a workaround here somewhere. That this surely isn't one of those things that Jesus is that serious about. The thing I think we have to notice, if you're going to you're going to question the seriousness of Jesus on this, you have to notice what he's talking about here includes punishments every time, doesn't it? So go and think well of your adversary while you're on the way to court before you get there, so that the the uh clerk doesn't throw you doesn't turn you over to the jailer and jailer throw you in, in the jail and you don't get out until the very last penny is paid why would Jesus include the penalty there and the penalty if you get angry and the penalty if you insult your brother because Jesus is pretty serious about this and again I just have to clear my throat and say What am I going to do, and see that's I think exactly where Jesus wants you to get to. He wants you to get to the place say, "I got nothing here, and so I suppose if I was a rabbi I'd just say. You're all good to go. You're dismissed. (laughs) But what if? What if Jesus was serious about a kingdom where life was like this? Think about that. Where not only did you not have to sue people or they not sue you, but where even your enemies thought well of you and you thought well of them. Where the people close to you never insulted you. Where you were never provoked to anger with other people. Wouldn't that be an amazing way to live? I just have to tell you, that's what Jesus is doing. He's creating a kingdom where life is like that. I mean, I've, I've already admitted, it's so foreign to me. And I imagine it's foreign to you too. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting you into a, a different kind of life, a life that is distinct from the kind of life that you have known. kind of life that has a sweetness about it. So that everyone recognizes that Jesus is at the center of that life. That's what Jesus is doing. Because when He invites you into His kingdom, that's what this sermon is doing, by the way. I'm not just assuming that. This sermon is inviting you into the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is this invitation to belong to Jesus. Jesus. And and when you belong to Jesus and Jesus reigns, I just want to tell you this. Jesus is stronger than anger. You're not. I'm not. But Jesus is. In submitting to Jesus and following Jesus is the pathway to freedom from anger. Because Jesus did not come, right, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The fulfilled law is made perfect in Jesus. He has fulfilled it. He has lived it so perfectly that he wasn't angry with his brother, that he... Didn't insult the other driver for not using the blinker on his camel. Jesus fulfilled the law. And when you unite with Jesus, you have his strength. You have his life within you to change you from an angry person to a person of peace. The standard of right living is so high, isn't it, that you know you can't do it on your own. (laughs) And this is just the first one. This is Jesus' first example. He's got a bunch more coming. (laughs) This is just the first one. and You're saying, oh, I'm out of here. You are, unless Jesus is your king unless you have this new life that comes in his kingdom. Because if you don't, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you can jump and touch one of these lights, you're done. That's the way that standard works, unless you're united to Jesus. Because, you see, this is not a try-harder message we know don't we that we would all be fools if we walk out of here and say oh, oh i'm i heard what jesus had to say i'm going to do better we're all we're all going to run into it again aren't we this instead is a trust jesus message this is a message that that throws you onto jesus to say oh god help me I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be meek. And I know I'm not. By your standards, I'm so far from that. I just I just need to come and follow and learn. And won't you please, please help me. Because this fulfilled law that... Jesus has fulfilled it. This fulfilled law, he says, he'll write on your heart the change. The thing that's different with Jesus is this new covenant where Jesus writes the law on your heart so that before you ever get angry, there is a change. He will take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. His spirit will be within you to catch you before those words come out. And clearly, a changed heart is what Jesus is after. There really is no way, is there, for us to say that, to, to look at this passage and say, Jesus is after religious people. Jesus is after even well-behaved people. Because it isn't the behavior of not murdering, it's the internal heart of not being angry. And even more so of actually wanting to love and reconcile with your enemy. And only Jesus can make you so poor in spirit that you no longer get angry with other people. And so I just, I just want to extend Jesus' invitation to you to live in his kingdom with him as your king where he calls the shots and you follow, you follow as close as you can by faith. Where you live in this kingdom and in this kingdom, the glorious thing about this kingdom is that it isn't just that everyone is not murdered, but it's everyone is from re- anger. Everyone is free from insult. Everyone desires to be reconciled. And of course we're not there yet. We are in process now for that one glorious not yet day when Jesus reigns unrivaled in the world and in our hearts. And it'll be like this. And it can be your life as well if you follow Jesus. And so I invite you, like I believe Jesus is inviting you, to follow Him as your King, to let Him call your shots, to let Him write His law in your heart as He fulfills it. And let Him free you from yourself. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, if ever, if ever there was a time where we needed you, it's now. If ever there was a subject that points out how much we need you, it's this subject. Father, would you help us? I'm sure there are Husbands that need to reconcile with wives and wives that need to reconcile with husbands and parents that need to reconcile with their kids and vice versa. Father, we just need your help. Would Would you cause our hearts to change and to desire exactly what you desire? And then, when we enter the real world to behave, as those with new hearts. Father, we love you and we need you. And we ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen.